Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,464. If you follow the leader, you're never going to be the leader. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. I am revved up and so excited today to share with you a very special guest, Steve Matusik, who will be calling in from Lenexa, Kansas. Steve Matusik is the founder of Aeromotive, a company he started in 1994. He and his business partner, Jack Houghton, focus on fuel delivery components through technology and engineering. Both are racers, and their products are conceived on the racetrack. Through relationships with their racers, Customers, manufacturers, they identify challenges and create solutions that turn them into products. Steve has a background in aerospace industry, and he set up Aeromotive to supply the same materials and practices that they use in that industry on his components, which sets them apart from their competition. He's the son of immigrant parents, and he is an all-American success story. We'll be back in just a minute to introduce Steve, but first, a word from our valued sponsors who make Cars Yeah! possible. Winter's here and things can get a little messy. Rain, snow, salt, mud, dirt, and everything Mother Nature comes up with can hurt the finishes of your vehicles, both inside and out. I'm not worried, though, because I've used Covercraft car covers on my rides since 1975. Today, Covercraft offers you a total solution to vehicle protection. They make the best-fitting, finest-made car covers in the world and offer a wide variety of materials, colors, and options that protect your paint and the interior, too. Live where it's sunny all the time? Lucky. Covercraft dash covers and sunscreens are the best. Got pets? Messy kids? Messy in-laws? Or just messy friends? Covercraft seat covers are the perfect fit and the perfect solution for keeping your seats looking new and don't forget their custom fit floor mats and trunk liners they are a must-have for all your vehicles your cars trucks van or whatever you drive will say thank you and i've got a deal for you during january 2020 you can get 10 percent off plus free shipping on all covercraft products that's right go to covercraft.com and use the code yeah 120 that's y-e-a-h 120 at checkout that's covercraft.com and use the code yeah 120 at checkout Hey Cars Yeah Race fans, Andy Collins, owner of Armadillo Racing, is a past guest here on Cars Yeah. Last year I was honored to be a speaker at his high performance racing seminar and having attended, I can tell you it's an invaluable learning experience if you love to race. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Armadillo's high performance racing seminars and it takes place Saturday February 8th in Tacoma, Washington. For your seminar fee, you'll spend a day with four of racing's premier professionals on how to improve your driving and much, much more. This year's outstanding speaker lineup include Jacques Delari, PhD, world-renowned high-performance driving and life coach, Jeff Braun, a race engineer with a history at Core Racing and IMSA, Ross Bentley, top driving coach, author of world-renowned Speed Secrets and a fellow podcaster, and Dan Davis, retired director of motorsports for Ford Motor Company. All of these incredible racing experts are past guests here on Cars Yeah. As an added bonus for Cars Yeah listeners, you'll get to join these speakers at the Friday night reception at the incredible LeMay Car Museum 
for free. That's right. It's a $50 value if you sign up by January 15th. What a deal. Go to Armadillo Racing's website and register. That's armadilloracing.com. Steve, welcome to Cars Yeah. Are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity and looking forward to it. We'll have some fun. Do me a favor, say hello to the Cars Yeah audience and tell them just a little bit about yourself and your business. Um, well, uh, again, my name is Steve Matusik. I grew up right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Growing up, our weekends consisted of going to the racetrack. So our summer vacation every year used to be going to the U.S. Nationals in Indianapolis. To me, that was a way of life. And, you know, having immigrant parents and having my father from Hungary and, and my mother from Poland, you know, it was a strict upbringing, but didn't have a lot of uh, room to make any choices. From that standpoint, uh, I was told that I'm going to go to college and I was told that I'm going to get an engineering degree. And I was told, you know, that this is going to be my way of life. And I work for an aerospace company. And all I can tell you is that I went through that whole process and and I wasn't really thrilled about it. I wasn't thrilled about the Friday night bowling league. I wasn't thrilled about having my own cubicle. Um, <laughs> it sounds yeah. exciting, but it wasn't my passion. My passion was, were cars with speed and, and uh, took all of that education and all of that background and decided to, you know, write a business plan and, and create a company in the performance automotive aftermarket. And that's what I did. And this, here we are 25 years later talking about it on what's called a podcast. So, so it's been, it's been an interesting run. That's for sure. Well, it's an awesome story. And that's why I wanted to bring this to my listeners ears because you are truly an inspiration of somebody who chased their passion and made something very significant out of it. And that's what Cars Yeah! is all about. Before I jump into the question, Steve, tell our listeners maybe something that most people don't know about you. I think we, we touched on that a little bit is that I am first generation. I spent uh, I spent my younger years, again, just going to the racetrack and just um, being a crew guy on my dad's race car. He built rear engine dragsters. He had a 32 Bantam back in the day with a Ford camera in it. So I think that, you know, a lot of these companies, a lot of people don't understand or know the history. And, and in today's climate, with all the investments going into our industry and you're seeing all the roll-ups and, and all these companies kind of changing because they're part of a bigger group, um, we are still an independent. We do it because we love it. And it's uh, it's been a part of my life ever since I can remember. Very cool. I love it. Well, as we start on this journey about you, Aeromotive, and what you've done with your life, I want to first ask you for a success quote or a mantra, some kind of saying that's been instrumental in your life and your success. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning or the fuel get fed in your case. So, Steve, take the wheel. You know, I I, I probably have two quotes that um, my family and people here <laughs> get sick of hearing. You know, one of them is, the lazy man works the hardest. You know, by that, I mean, do do it right the first time. Don't take shortcuts because you always end up spending more time, energy, money if you try to take a shortcut. So so that's something that when I see somebody trying to rush through something and not, you know, go through the appropriate steps or take a shortcut and say, hey, look, the lazy man works the hardest. And and the other the other saying that I have that, that you know, we really talk about a lot here at Aeromotive is if you follow the leader, you're never going to be the leader. And And that's something that you know, I've done throughout my entire career, whether it be with a new product, with the business, with family life, or even on our racing programs, we've always gone a different direction than everybody else. We've always tried different things, different power plants, different combinations, because again, I mean, 
we just are trying to push the limit. And, and if you want to be number one at anything, it's good to have inspiration from, from people that have, you know, gone through that same type exercise that you have gone or have, have charted a, or, uh, a path, but don't follow them. I mean, learn from them, be innovative, be different. And, and, um, you know, don't follow the leader. So that's those are probably the two mantras that I live by. No, I love those. And it's funny how with your first thought there that there's always time to fix a mistake, isn't there? So why isn't yes, there time absolutely. to do it right the first time? So, yeah, that uh, makes uh, truth here. You know, I had Rob Dickinson who uh, started the singer Porsche Redefined Business. And in his conversation with me, he talked about where his slogan came from. Everything is important. And when they built that first car, he came back at night and the whole shop was empty and he's walking around. And he just was starting to notice a lot of little things that weren't done right. Maybe were rushed through a little quickly and just started circling everything. And then he got so angry, he took a spray can and wrote on the wall, everything is important. And when the crew came in the next day, they had a very serious talk. And that defined this company singer moving forward. And even today, you see that slogan on the door sills of those I call them lottery cars because whenever I waste a buck on a lottery ticket, I write the word singer on the back of it because I would love to have him build me a car someday. But uh, very cool. Well, I love those. Those are great inspirational quotes. I would love for you to kind of start our show here by talking uh, a lot more about Aeromotive, this company that you and your business partner have created. Now, we're in the new year, 2020, which is hard to even fathom, a new decade. I mean, what happened to my life? It's moving by so fast. What has you excited and fired up now with your company, Aeromotive? You know, what I'm excited about are we're continuing continuing to move the, the bar. You know, it's the new products. It's innovating. It's solving problems. You know, I have a unique situation with, with my partner um, because Jack Felton, who is my partner, is not really an enthusiast per se. He's more of the man behind the scenes, the operational guy, the banker. He pays attention to finance. So what I get excited about is R&D. You know, he, he figures out how to make the money. I figure out how to spend the money. But um, once, <laughs> Nice, once nice relationship there. Well, it, it's a great relationship. <laughs> One of the things, I mean, I'll give you a little story, and it's a great story, is that I went into his office a few years back, and, and uh, his office, the wall was right uh, next to where we had a, a fuel pump test stand, where every pump that, that we um, put in a box gets you know tested for pressure, Flow, current draw, leakage, so on and so forth. Then we date stamp and put them in a box and, and out the door, hopefully out the door they go. So I walked in his office and constantly hear the buzzing of the test stand. And um, I walked in there and, and it was kind of quiet. And I looked at him and I said, doesn't that, doesn't that noise bother you? And he looks at me and he goes, nope, sounds like money to me. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was, you know, when something's in production, I kind of get bored with it unless we can make improvements yeah. on it. I'm off sure. trying to climb that next mountain. And we have some really exciting products this year where we're moving the needle. Um, we're, we're changing the perception of what people think you can do with, with uh, electronic fuel pumps and, and fuel delivery and reliability and hot fuel handling. And uh, I think that's what keeps us on top is we constantly are trying to better ourselves. We're competing with ourselves. We're not really, in my mind, competing with anybody else, but we always challenge ourselves to come out with a better product or solve another problem. Very cool. You know, your story reminds me, I got to visit a very high-end restoration shop, and they had just bought their first CNC machine. And he brought me over to the machine. He said, listen to this. And he turned it on. 
I'm like, okay, that's cool. And he said, you know what that is? And I go, well, it's a CNC machine. He goes, no, it's a money-making machine. <laughs> right, Every time right, it comes right. on, it makes us money. Yeah, right. we have another yep. way to provide services and goods to our customers. So it uh, sounds like you've got a great business partner there. You know, you alluded to this and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but when did you realize that doing what you want to do as a career was the right thing for you? You, you went into the aerospace industry, didn't really care for what was going on there, the cubicle, the bowling alley, all that. And you, you know, there's more to life than this. So what was the catalyst? And I know you, I know your background. You went back to school, got an MBA, learned how to run a business, learned how to do the things needed to run a business. When did you go, I got to go do this. I can't just keep doing what I'm doing now. Well, it was almost by default. It was an interesting story from the standpoint of this. Um, I started my career at a company, um, McDonnell Douglas in St. Louis. And I was, I had oh, my that little, little project. place. Yes. A <laughs> small little company called McDonald with my cubicle. And, and, and there was a gentleman that sat behind me. His name was Norman Wong. And this was before the internet came online. And they had what was called bulletin boards. Norman would at night get on the bulletin boards and look them up. And I'm like, I thought he was nuts because I'm like, you're just wasting your time getting on these bulletin boards and doing this. And he was your stereotypical book smart engineer and loved that stuff. And I wasn't that guy. I was an engineer, but I was more applications minded. It sounds exciting that to work on a military program or an aerospace program where one of my projects was a, a weapon system on the F-15. Well, we didn't really do much. We were just integrators. We had subcontractors. You know, we had specifications from the government. We'd have to manage all that. It was mundane at best. I reached out to the, the college, the St. Louis University, Parks College of St. Louis University, to see if there were some other companies um, in the St. Louis area at the time that did hardcore engineering, hardcore marketing, where I could feel like I could really sink my teeth into things and use my talents. And I left. Uh, McDonnell Douglas to go to a satellite company, one of those companies that used to get the contracts to actually make the product. Um, and the name of the company is called Essex Industries. So I went there. And when I got there from day one, it was a, a, a smaller company. And, and at that time, it was a fairly good sized company. It's probably about a $40, $50 million company. But I went there and they were very interested and open to ideas. And when I saw a lot of what they did, uh, as a matter of fact, my father visited to see my new job, new company I was working for. And we're walking around, we're seeing the CNC machines, we're seeing the pneumatic valves that they made, the hydraulic valves that they made, the billet aluminum, the stainless, uh, you know, different types of products they used on aircraft. And he said, you know what this company could probably do? And I said, no, what's that? And he goes, regulators. There's not a good regulator, fuel pressure regulator uh, in drag racing right now. And you guys should do regulators. And I thought, that's interesting. So I went in that direction. I started to create a program for Essex. I brought in a, a gentleman. His name was Michael Burroughs. And at that time, he you know, had Burroughs and Associates. He did a double-blind survey for us. We started to look at what that company was good at and what's needed in the performance aftermarket. And he said, I got a guy I wanted to introduce you to um, that can help you through this process because he's really smart and he's progressive and he's really engaged in the performance aftermarket right now. And his name is John Lingenfelter. And I kind of oh chuckled. Gosh. <laughs> I chuckled because John Lingenfelter to me was just a drag racer. I knew John. John used to race the same track my father did. He raced a class called Competition Eliminator. Well from the time that I started my education, I got out of drag racing. I was kind of detached from it. And I didn't realize that through my education and then into my young career 
that he, you know, really started the catapult and he started doing the Corvettes and he had his own company and things like that. So I kind of lost touch with him. So then I re-engaged with John and we went after fuel systems. It was exciting because we had our first press conference at the B2 final assembly facility in Palmdale, California. So it was a secret facility. Um, we went there. There were like 23 different editors from different magazines that were there. And uh, we had a great press conference and everything was going in the right direction. And I was excited because I was getting back into um, automotive racing, things like that. The negative to that was at that point in time, there was a, a decline in a lot of military spending. And the aerospace industry was on decline. And this was in like 1992, I believe. And uh, we came back and we had a big meeting at the company. And the executives said, okay, here's what's going to happen. Everybody that's salary is going to work a minimum of 40 hours, which I was already working 60 hours a week. And you're going to get paid for 32. And at that time, it just so happened that (laughs) my wife was home and, and she gave up her career and she was watching our children. She was bringing in a couple of kids, you know, every day to babysit so that we could help make ends meet. I was going to school for my MBA at nights and we just started learning about venture capital, about other people's money. So I came home from work and I didn't want to tell my wife that I just got a haircut with my salary. I felt like I wasn't, wasn't in control. And I came home and I said, okay, here's a, here's a situation. Company struggling. The industry's tough. Oh, then they also wanted to pull me back into aerospace. They wanted to quit funding the new products for the automotive division. So I came home, explained it to my wife. She looked at me and said, you know what? You should do this on your own. You're doing it anyway. You should just go off and do it on your own. And I looked at her and I said, that's not a bad idea. And I sat down that night and started writing a business plan in order to get um, venture capital to start my own company and buy that assets from that industry or that company and fold it into my own entity that I was in control of. Uh, lo and behold, I was successful a year and a half later. Two years later, it got funded uh, by the Kansas City Equity Partners, uh, relocated to Kansas City, and here we are 25 and a half years later. Wow. Well, brave and bold move, and I know that you and your partner have since bought out that investment company, so it's all yours now. Is that right? Yeah. What happened was I moved uh, to Kansas City in 1994, and, and at that point in time, I was the only owner of the business. And, and what our concept was to do private label design work and manufacturing and then sell it to existing brands because I got a, a taste of what it cost to create a brand when I was at Essex. And I figured that, hey, my use of capital was better spent in teaming up with certain entities, doing things for them, letting them take it to market and us just getting paid for a product by product type basis yeah. for that work. Yeah. And then in that process, I think it was in 1990. Five, I ended up meeting Jack, and Jack bought his uh, CNC shop from his father, and he was a vendor of ours. So we were just vendor customer. He was working on some other things. He was an ex banker. He was trying to get more involved in a marine product for Brunswick. It was a power steering unit for bass boats, things like that. Um, so he bought the company from his father. He was also doing some contract manufacturing. Well, that particular business didn't um, work out. Now he looked at that saying, well, I don't want to be a a company that has contract manufacturing like my father. I wanted a proprietary product. Aeromotive at that time, we had a proprietary product. He said, hey, why don't don't we put these two entities together, put the venture capital in the back seat, 
and uh, make a run at this. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. So in 1997, we put the companies together and then the venture capital had a great story to tell. They said, hey, look, we got a company three years old, was a clean sheet of paper company. Now it's 19 CNCs, this bank of business, this many people, you know, so it was, it was a win, win, win for everybody involved. Um, and then in 2001, we used the CNC shop. We sold that as an ongoing business. Um, and we used the proceeds from that to buy our venture capital. So, so, uh, in 2000, February 2001, we bought out our venture capital. So we basically had to pay for our past sins a lot. I mean, you know, you go in, you have venture capital, then we use bank debt to, you know, try to buy it. Or, and, and by the way, when you sell a business, the IRS doesn't care what you use the proceeds for. They just know that you sold the business, right? So, right. so yeah, the after-tax sure. dollars that were left weren't enough to, to keep the business humming and, and pay off our venture capital guys. So then we incurred bank debt. And, and my, my partner was still had debt on the books for his father because he bought his CNC shop, even though we didn't have it anymore. So it's an interesting chain of events of how when you finally get to the point, which was probably about seven years ago, when you're finally working for yourself, you pay off all your past sins 18 years later after you start the business. It's a great feeling. So, so that's where <laughs> yeah, we've no been doubt. here for, for less than a decade. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, the tax man always takes his for not doing a whole heck of a lot, doesn't he? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. We talked about that in our pre-show chat. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break, say thank you to a couple of our sponsors that make this show possible, and we'll be right back. Edelbrock has been the name in automotive performance since 1938. Edelbrock designs and builds thousands of the finest automotive performance products right here in the USA for both street and track. From their AVS2 carburetors to V6 superchargers, if it's more power you crave, Edelbrock delivers. Let's talk superchargers. Whether it's an application-specific system or a universal fit, their precision-made assemblies come in multiple stages for a wide variety of makes and models. Their V6 superchargers are dyno-tested and ensure the perfect fit and maximum horsepower torque Plus added boost. You get huge power gains. I mean huge power gains. Quality construction you can trust and backed by decades of knowledge, Edelbrock is a brand that provides you with proven performance. And I've got a deal for you. This January 2020, you can get 10% off, 10% off if you use the code CARSYEAH at checkout. Just go to edelbrock.com and use CARSYEAH, all one word, at checkout and get 10% off. Tell them Mark at CARSYEAH sent you. That's edelbrock.com, checkout code CARSYEAH for your 10% off. My favorite collector car magazine is Keith Martin's Sports Car Market. I've been a subscriber for decades. Sports Car Market is the Wall Street Journal for the enthusiast and the collector. It's your monthly must-read whether you dream of owning a collector car, have two cars, or 200. Sports Car Market has been around for 31 years, and it's filled with valuable articles, intelligent write-ups, and the latest auction sales. Go to sportscarmarket.com and subscribe today. Plus, you'll get the exclusive SEM guide to restoration shops included for free. At checkout, use the code CARSYEAH and receive a 50% discount on your digital subscription. It's an exclusive offer from me here at Cars Yeah. I'm Mark Green, and I love Sports Car Market Magazine. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah. And I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. 
Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Carsyeah website at carsyeah.com. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. All right, Steve, uh, you've shared a lot of ups and downs and trials and tribulations. I'd love for you to share one great challenge you've faced with this business or even a big failure. But more importantly, what was the learning lesson and how did you overcome that and come out in a positive way on the other side? Well, I, I mean, every day is a challenge and, and you can't can't sweat the small stuff, right? I mean, I've learned a long time ago that, that you control what you can and what you can't. You know, you just don't worry about it. I mean, you got to keep, mm-hmm. you know, the goal in focus. You got to keep striving, um, to, to achieve certain milestones and you can't force it. I mean, if something's not meant to be, you got to be, it, it can't be an invented here syndrome. It's got to be, okay, we tried it. It didn't work. You, there's always something else you could work on. There's always another opportunity. So don't be stubborn. You got to be nimble and flexible and you got to control what you can. So those are those are just simple lessons that I learned that you know make it a lot easier to either fish or cut bait when you're looking at you know what products or what markets or what you know industries you want to get into. What's a tipping point that you could describe to somebody that uh, because a lot of folks that are very detail oriented do sweat the small stuff and then sometimes that gets in the way of them climbing up on the mast and pointing the company in the right direction. They're too busy rowing down in the the galleons there with with the rest of the folks that are trying to get things done. What's a tipping point example you can give of something that you go, you know what, we need to move on. We got to stop digging this hole or we're not going to be able to climb out of it. Well, I, you know, that, that's hard to say because there's so many every day, you know, you have to make decisions. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have right now 60 some um, ideas on the docket that we could create new products with. And sometimes you just have to be patient. Things will come to you. You know, you have to be out there looking uh, hope and a prayer is not a plan, but you, you have to, you know, create something that's, that's, and again, that solves a problem. We don't do anything that's a me too product. At least we don't try to, because in our world, my thought process is if somebody's having a problem and you come up with a solution, the product will sell itself. And it's just that simple. You know, now in the age of counterfeit product and, and a lot of other companies trying to knock you off and do things that you do, they don't really know why that product was invented in the first place. So again, we really try to focus on what's the problem. And if we create self-imposed expectations or if we think there's a problem or if we want to, you know, build features instead of benefits, our company's big on focusing on benefits and not features or gimmicks, then that's a problem. And then those are things that it's easy to say, well, you know what, that's not really an interesting project or product because 
yeah, maybe you can make some money on it short term. But I like products that we have products we developed in 1994 that we still get orders for today. And that's because, again, they solve problems. So those are the kind of things that they have depth. They're tangible. They're real. And uh, that's what we like to focus on. And then when you get to the point where you feel like, you know, you just self-impose the specification and you think something will work and you think it has certain features. Give you a perfect example. We came out with a diesel pump and I call it the Edsel. It's a diesel lift pump. And we did our due diligence and we felt like we solved everybody's problem. And one of the expectations was that this particular industry doesn't care much about price. They just want to solve problems. Well, this thing did everything. And and I call it the Edsel because it did everything. It was expensive. <laughs> Nobody wants it <laughs> because. Yeah. It, the, well, I started saying, why would you name something an Edsel? Now I get it. Right. I mean, it's, it was beautiful. It works great. It does everything you can imagine. Everybody that said, hey, if you did this, 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 and this, you know, it'll it'll fall off the shelves. Well, what, what we weren't told is because we weren't really in touch with that market is that you can't have something that's three times more than the competitors and sell it because that's the tipping point. So those are hard lessons to learn, but, you know, you got to just, okay, bury it and go on. I mean, that's just the way the yeah. world works. Golden nugget here, obviously, is, and we hear this a lot, discover what people's needs are and fill that need. And, you know, a funny thing came to mind while you're describing that. I think back to McDonald's and you think of people didn't even really know that they needed fast food. And all of a sudden people were saying, well, this is cool. I can eat real fast because I'm busy. My life's busy. I'm not saying fast food has probably turned out to be the greatest thing in the world for any of us. But the fact is it served a need for people and look at where they are now. So interesting story. Very cool. Well, how about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew you were a car guy, or was that just ingrained in you because of your dad and his racing? For me, it's DNA. I mean, there was not a pivotal moment ever since I can remember, and there were pictures of me standing up in the back of a 61 Starliner Ford while my father was racing at the, at the drag strip. So, you know, ever since I can remember, we were at the racetrack. Um, that's what we did. That's what we do. So, uh, you know, it's not one of those things where I got interested in it, you know, like like playing football or football, right? I mean, I played in high school, really didn't have enough talent to play in college, so I played rugby instead. But that was something that I liked and I started to understand. And I lived, grew up in Pittsburgh. So when you have a team that wins four Super Bowls, you know, in a short period of time, okay, it's vogue, it's interesting, it's fun, you get on the bandwagon. But but for, for me, for the automotive industry and for performance and racing and, and more specifically drag racing, I grew up with that. Like I, So I helped my father in the garage. He welded chassis. He built the engines. I helped him form bodies. We built the rear engine drags together. I mean, so that's just what we did. I mean, so there wasn't a pivotal moment that, you know, really I can touch on that says, hey, this is this is what brought me into this this sport. Family vacations at the drag strip. I love it. Well, Very cool. How about your first really special car, that first car you got in your life that had great meaning for you and maybe share a memory you have about that ride? What was it? I, I think it's uh, probably, I had a 1986 Mustang convertible and it was a GT with a five liter in it and it was a Fox body. And when I was at that company prior to um, starting starting the business, that was kind of my dream car. And, and that was a third car for my wife and I. And even though you know, we were kind of strapped and, and we weren't doing that well. It got an inheritance from, 
from one of my grandparents that unfortunately passed away. So I used that to purchase this vehicle. And again, that was my dream car back then, because when I grew up, I had a 69 Mustang with a 302 in it. My brother had a, a Mach 1 with a Cobra jet in it, but I just always liked Mustangs. And what was really neat about this car is it only it's only got like 60,000 miles on it now. So when I got it, had very few miles, never drove it, just you know drove it around the block or to the ice cream place with, with my wife and, and kids. But then that car, when I started Aeromotive, was the catalyst for project vehicles. That particular car, everything we developed for the Fox Body Mustang ended up in that vehicle. You know, at one point we developed fuel systems and, and the way that worked back then was that uh, we were trying to put our A1000 fuel pump on a street driven car because when we started the company, it's like, hey, here's a big fuel pump as a dash 10 in and out. Good luck. Install it on your car. And then we started to realize that, okay, it's not the product integrity that's a problem. It's misapplication, misinstallation. So then we started to expand to, okay, we've got to do the right filters. And you got to have a column of fuel at the inlet of the pump. And you got to worry about hot fuel handling. So by default, it's like, okay, now we got to figure out how to develop the tank that can feed the pump so the pump can push the fuel into the engine. So with that particular car, we sumped the tank. We put the pump on it externally. My dad and I really worked on the car, figured out how this would all be packaged and work. And then we backed into the engineering side of it. Was we said, okay, this is it'll work. Here's the application. Now let's back into it with the drawings, the bill of material, get the appropriate inventory, and create a part number. So, and then it's like, okay, let's up the horsepower. You know, we're pretty close with ATI Pro Charger. Put a Pro Charger on the car. So then we had to change the compression in the engine and put a pro charger on it. We tried that. And then we started to come up later on with our in-tank pumps. So then we put an in-tank pump in the, in the gas tank, removed the sump tank, removed the A1000, put an in-tank pump. And then we evolved it to OE replacement type tanks with our bigger pumps and with, with the Phantom in it. So it, again, one thing after another, that car was always our project vehicle. It started off being my prized possession, but it turned into part of our R&D that was invaluable in understanding and testing some of our designs to make sure that they were credible. So that's probably why it was, uh, you know, one of my most favorite, most memorable cars. Well, yeah. And you know, what's really great about this story. I'm thinking of your grandparents that left you that inheritance so you could buy that car. Basically, they left you seed money to help expand your business, which supports your family, your employees' families, and makes customers happy. So man, that's got to put a big smile on your face. That's, well, that's an interesting story. interesting way to look at that. I'd never looked at it in that manner, but that that truly is an interesting way to look at that. Absolutely. That's the way I saw it the whole time you're displaying it. Is you've got uh, your wonderful grandparents up there in heaven looking down with a big smile saying, "Nicely done, grandson. Nicely done." So, very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Steve. If you woke up tomorrow and you were manifested as a vehicle, what would Steve be and why? Well, uh, I think <laughs> it, I think I'd be reincarnated because this happened to me in a, in a few years back. But I, I think I would be a turbocharged uh, clutch car with a Liberty five speed. The reason I say that is uh, back in the early two thousands, we put a Ford modular engine. It was a five point four liter modular engine into a chassis built. It was built more like a pro stock car than a pro mod car, and we had a Liberty five speed in it. And when we came out with that combination, 
people just look at us like, why in the world would you work that hard on a four valve per cylinder modular engine, you know, with a clutch in it and try to race against 800 cubic inch nitrous cars and roots blown cars and things like that. And, and the response was because nobody's done it because we think there's an opportunity and, and, you know, we're trying to blaze our own trail. Even today, that, that car, and I'd like to go back to something like that because that car defined who we are. It defined that we think outside the box. We have a plan. We have a vision. We go ahead and activate the plan and we follow through. And it was a successful program to the extent that that particular car got the attention of some Ford executives. And when we were campaigning that car without any help from Ford, we did it on our own because again, my dad was true blue Ford guy back in the day and, and I was a Ford guy and this was a neat package that uh, we got the attention of some Ford executives. And they helped us out with when they came out with the new pro stock engine combination. They gave us the, the cylinder heads and, and, and a block and a body so that we could now elevate our program into the NHRA program to what it is today. And also got us involved with the Cobra Jets. We're OEM on all the Cobra Jets to roll off the assembly line. So taking some of those things where we really were innovative and we took things that were relevant to the consumer. And having a big company like Ford recognize that allowed us to get exposure that, that grew our business. And then, then the Cobra Jet program turned into the Copo program, turned into the Drag Pack program. So, so again, those activities, we didn't know it back then, but those were truly instrumental in, in helping us get to the level of where we're at today. Awesome. What an answer to a somewhat unique question. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Well, we're entering what I call the last lap or the last run in your case of a dragster. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some quick blips of that Mustang drag throttle. So here we go. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your successes over the years? In response to that question, I feel like my personality is to not have a habit. I, I stay loose and nimble and, and I kind of take things as they're um, uh, given to me and and uh, I just, I really, I'm not the guy that I get up at the same time every day or I, you know, have coffee at the same place every day or, you know, I work out at the same time every day. I just, I like to treat every day different. And uh, to me, it's boring to have habits. Very cool. How about if I could arrange for you to have a drink or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? That's an interesting question, but but who comes to my mind is somebody that I met and it's Tom McEwen. And and I had a really unique relationship with him. He was such a special guy. He's the kind of guy where I was racing at the U.S. Nationals in Indianapolis. He wasn't there. And my wife and I were in a hotel, and I was running ProMod, and I was going to race my partner at the time, Danny Rowe. We both had blown 68 Camaros. And I get a call in my hotel room at, at like 7.30 in the morning. And he's in California, so this is 4.30 in the morning in California. He gets on the phone with me and he's giving me a pep talk. And he's like saying, okay, now kid, this is what you need to do. And don't let him intimidate you. And yes, he owns a car, but you got to kick his, you know, and, and I thought, what, what a guy, you know, to, to have the, the, the resume that he had and the following that he had, but he always would call. He'd always take us out to dinner. My wife and I used to always have dinner with him. And, and it, then it turned into him and Don Perdome. We'd always have dinner in Las Vegas and get to know those guys and they were just so willing to share and, and it was it was just humbling 
and and he was just a special guy. So I miss him, and I wish I had another opportunity to sit down with him. A legend and an icon for sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I, I think it was, and this is, you know, it's interesting, these questions, I, I kind of like a rapid fire, and I think of things. It's probably back when I talked about this turbocharged Mustang, one of the guys that really helped us out with it was Kenny Duttweiler. We dynoed the engine at his facility in California, and he helped us out with that. And uh, and he back then had the, the Buick Grand Nationals, and, you know, he was running a turbo car, and I never ran one yet, and we were talking, and he looked me square in the eyes, and he said, okay, when you get this thing to the racetrack, you got to drive it like you hate it. You know, so, so I always remembered that, you know, these cars are angry, you know, and you can't, you can't baby, you know, baby them. You got to be aggressive with them. You got to drive them like you hate them. So that was probably the best advice I got from anybody that I truly respect in the industry. Very cool. How about a great tip for our listeners or a resource that you find really helpful? For me, the racetrack, you know, you go there, people forget, people, you know, everybody's so tied into electronic social media, you know, doing things on their computer. But to, to experience the passion of what we do and how we do it, I think the best place to go to is the racetrack because you, it, it stimulates all of your senses and it's where you learn and you go out there, you, you, you experience it yourself. You have the trials and tribulations. It's hard work, but you solve problems. And for, for me, going to the racetrack is the most invaluable place that you could be on the planet in order to truly engage in this industry application how about a book is there a book you've read you think our listeners would benefit from i you know i used to read a lot more than i do now i read several of the books in the o'reilly series the o'reilly killing books killing kennedy lincoln reagan jesus Patton. i mean i I read all those books and, and i love i love biographies i love real people i don't like fiction i like knowing how people got to where they're at um, what they think about, their, what their experiences were. So I, I really enjoyed those books because, for the most part, they were biographies. And you got a sense and a feel for, you know, the challenges that everybody has in their life. And, and it helps you um, going through your life and, and understanding that, hey, you're not on an island. Other people think the same way you do. They've had the same experiences. And this is kind of what they did in order to solve some of these problems. So so I really enjoyed those books and, and it gave me an interesting perspective. Uh, and it helps me even today when I when I run into some challenging issues, whether they're personal or professional. Very cool. I remind our listeners you can find all these resources on Steve's very own Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to carsyeah.com, type in Steve Matusek, M-A-T-U-S-E-K. It's the spelling of his last name. And you'll find everything right there with quick, easy links to buy. All right, Steve. We're almost there. We're almost to the end of the dragway here. I have a question for you that can be a bit of a doozy, though. Today, I'm going to buy you a very cool collector car, something fun for you. Could be a race car if you want. doesn't matter to me, but there are some rules to my game since I'm writing the check here today. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with or fund your business. So if you pick a Ferrari GTO, you got to live with that thing. Not a bad thought. You have to drive it or race it. No garage queens allowed around here, but it's the only cool collector car you can have in your garage. There's the kicker question. What can I buy you? Well, for me, that's easy. It would be a 70 Hemi Cuda. And, and the reason for that is back in the day, my father was drag racing. He was always a Ford guy. He was He's teamed up with another guy with a front engine Logie style dragster. 
in, I believe it was in 1971, they were going to put a Hemi in the car. So we, we had some friends or he had a good friend that owned a salvage yard. Well, he ended up buying a 70 Cuda that was repossessed and a 69 Challenger, sorry, a 69 Roadrunner that had a 383 in it. And the 69 Roadrunner was wrecked. So what he did is he took, and, and think about this in today's, how valuable those cars are. So he took the Hemi out of the Cuda, put it in the dragster, took the 383 out of the Roadrunner, put it in the Cuda, then sold the Cuda. So then that was his first Hemi. So, so to me, it's, it's, you know, it would, it would be good to, to, um, have a car like that as a remembrance to my father and it's nostalgic and it would have a true meaning as opposed to just saying, Oh, that's a cool car. And I like it because it goes fast. This is something that every day that I saw the car and, and I'm, I have quite a few cars myself and I don't have any hanger queens. I like to drive. I mean, I like nice things. I like to work on them. But to me, if you're not driving it, why have it? I mean, you can have a picture of a car. To me, that's the same as having a car that's a hanger queen. So, so yes, I would drive that thing. I'd work on it. I'd do things to it, but, but it would just, uh, it, it would be very nostalgic for me. And, uh, where do, uh, do you want me to tell you where you need to send the check or how's this going to, Oh no, gonna I've got out? your address. Don't worry. Yeah. It's in the okay, mail. Perfect. Checks in the mail. Perfect. I got okay. a lot of checks in the mail right now to awesome. about 1,464 people. So, oh, so don't okay. hold your breath, but, but hang in there, hang in there. Right. Yeah. I'm working, I'm working for you. Uh, you know, what's funny to think about is that car over the years, I wonder how many people have owned it and somebody ended up with saying, how did this end up in this car? I wonder what Absolutely, the story right. is here. Yep. You yep. know, so every car has a story, as my good friend uh, Joe Pepiton says. Listen, Steve, you've taken me on a great ride, all of us on a great ride today. This has been really fascinating. I want to thank you for sharing your amazing journey. Could you offer us, before I let you go, one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the drag strip in that 1970 Hemi Cuda? You know, I treat life, everything parallels racing, life, business. And I say this all the time that if you have vision, if you can see it, it can happen. And by that, I mean, and I relate it to a car. When you get in your car, most people don't get in the car and just drive around aimlessly. You get in a car and there's a destination. There's a place you're trying to get to. Sometimes you're driving and sometimes the road's blocked or you got to make a left or a right or, you know, there's, there's some obstruction. But as long as you keep that vision, that goal, that destination in focus, you'll get there. If you don't have that focus, if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. So, so to me, that's one of the basics that I live by is that do everything purposeful. Do it for a reason. Don't just get in the car and drive aimlessly. Have a destination that you're going to because if you can see it, if you can visualize it, it can happen. And I think I'm a perfect example of that. Yeah, great inspiration. I have my next door neighbor who's a pilot, and he said, you know, flying an aircraft is much like that. You have a destination, but you're constantly having to make adjustments because it doesn't just go straightly there. There's winds, there's weather, there's clouds, there's things you have to fly around, but you keep your focus on your destination while you're making all those adjustments. So uh, great advice, great inspiration there, Steve. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Aeromotive? Um, I think the best way is to come to our website, and that's aeromotiveinc.com, and that's A-E-R-O-M-O-T-I-V-E-I-N-C.com. We're very good with updating it, communicating with, you know, enthusiasts about what we came up with and why in education. So it's probably our best method to, to get in touch with us. There you go. I'll make sure I put a link to that on Steve Shono's page again. And I want to do a shout out to uh, 
the folks at Con Media for putting me in touch with Steve here, uh, Luke Walsh and all the others there. A great company. They're always a good teammate for me for aligning me with wonderful guests here. It's inspirational guests as Steve has been today. Steve, thanks for being so generous today with your time, your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure and uh, hoping I uh, hope to meet you uh, in person at the racetrack uh, somewhere around the country in 2020. That sounds like fun. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!